The views and opinions expressed in this presentation by the hosts and guests are those of the individuals providing them and do not necessarily reflect those of the production company or distributors. Tina McElroy Anson, welcome to Two Old Chicks Who Know A Lot Of Shit, episode three. Wanda, can you believe we're in episode three? It is hard to believe. Isn't this exciting? It, it really is. Yeah. Y'all have, have no idea. This is a brand new world for us and it's, and it's happening. So we're thrilled with it. Thank you for joining us. We're here to share some uh, wisdom, some stories, some good vibes with you. So let's get started. Ready to get started, Wanda? I'm ready. Yes, I am. So in our in. last episode, we introduced a segment called The Check-In. It's a way for us to share you know, a little bit about what's going on in our lives. Um, which defines who we are in our season years. So some of our check-ins are personal. Some of them are about the work we're doing, and we are working. The check-in includes Tina's uh, post-its and Wanda's calendar. Tina loves her post-its. So she puts all her good ideas on them, and she sticks them all up around the house. So, Tina, what's on your post-its this time? Well, I have it. Right here. And okay. this time it is a really exciting post-it for me because it's about guard gardening. Mm. You're a gardener, Wanda, and I'm a gardener. I, yeah, well, you're you're a real gardener. I'm just kind of pretending to be a gardener. No, I think we both are. You told me today, though, <laughs> Wanda told me today, you know, we're gonna be recording tonight. You know, come on out of that garden and come on I in. Did. Mm -hmm. so she she knows me as you can see. Uh, uh but it's not just my garden I'm talking about this time on my post-it. This is a reminder to organize and put together and think about the garden that I am going to be giving my girlfriend who lives across the bridge and has bought a beautiful house and an old house that she's painted beautifully and re, uh, redone. And it's been a while, you know, we've been, she's been doing this for a while. So my note reminds me to organize my bags for my um, black, the black fabric bags that I like. We'll talk about those maybe on the mm -hmm. garden but they really do work and I have to organize them by size and by number and I'm going to estimate how much soil I'm going to need uh, and which I'm very thrilled about because uh, my friend has three little helpers they're 14 years old and so it's going to be easy peasy doing this so I'm going to repot the healthiest the healthiest seedlings that I have because I have little seedlings mm -hmm. small so, so she can go and my, my girlfriend is a vegetarian by the way so oh yeah garden is just like the best thing i want to see how about transporting the plants and all of that so i can't wait till the workers who are renovating the still renovating the house stop tromping trampling through so we can i've picked out my spot and uh you know i'm ready to get started so what kind of seedlings are you planting this time of year because you know because of you i got the idea to plant some lettuce and man it was good but now the lettuce is gone so um it was it my garden of course is in pots um, so what should I put in that particular pot this time of year? Well, I have to start by saying we're quite limited because Wanda doesn't like tomatoes. Mm -hmm. She lives in Georgia. She doesn't like, she doesn't like tomatoes. So that's, that's off the table. Uh, 
one of the good things about where we live, Wanda, is you know we might as well be north. We might as well be uh, in north um, uh, North Florida. And I think, you know, we can plant seeds all year long uh, un until it gets to be wintertime, you know, but we can plant seeds, seeds for plants, you know, three, uh, three seasons out of the year. So mm -hmm. you know, I have, I have uh, all kinds of plants for, for my friend. I have little, little tomato plants and little egg plants. Uh, you know, I, I've tried to uh, time it so that they wouldn't all come, you know, yeah, right. At the same time, uh, so but for your garden, you know the the lettuce. If it, if it is in a shady place, you can still mm -hmm. grow greens in the summertime. They just can't stay, you know, take that heat. But I suggest you start with some real herbs. You love herbs. Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, I have a lot of them. I do. I do like herbs. You, know? mm -hmm. you cook yeah. with herbs and and all mm -hmm. the rest. So mm -hmm. uh, I, I probably would suggest herbs since you don't like uh, tomatoes. And it's a little it's a little early to be put. You just have to blast me out twice that I don't like tomatoes. Now all the tomato lovers are going to be writing notes about Wanda doesn't like tomatoes. Well, you kind of deserve it, but you know, <laughs> I, know, <right? laughs> I mean, people drink. Well, it's funny, you know, people dream about Georgia tomatoes, you know, all all uh, winter long. People, you know, who have lived in Georgia, I've heard them talk about. It. I dreamed about Georgia tomatoes, and I at the time I wasn't a big tomato person, but you know, I you kind of connect. Uh, many of them are grown in Florida, but you kind of connect Georgia to, uh, Georgia tomatoes with the summer, and you know, all kinds of evocative feelings and. You know, like that. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. that's that's pretty much uh, you know what I'm what I'm going to do on what I have on my. Um, okay. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad. Mm -hmm, go ahead. Now, I was just going to explain before you you tell them what's going on. Uh, I am going to uh, uh, tell you about Wanda and her calendars. As much as I love my post-its, Wanda loves her calendar. Mm -hmm. She puts everything on the calendar. She puts my stuff on my calendar. Bless her heart. You know, but she that's how she organizes her life. So we want to check in with Wanda. When you check in with Wanda, you have to check in with her calendar. What's on your calendar, Wanda? Well, one of the things that's on my calendar uh, is about a monthly Zoom. Zoom session. So this is a serious thing. It, it's it's not as it's it's fun, but it's also serious. So mm -hmm. I I'm, I zoom once a month with a group of uh, former editors. Some of some of us are retired. Some of us are former. Um, mm -hmm. I joined a newspaper organization, a leadership organization, in 1999, and there were very few. African-Americans, very few people of color. You could count us on one hand, those of us who were at the top level who qualified to be in this organization, but it was a wonderful organization. We learned so much there. Um, so, I'm sorry. How did, you, how, did you how did you qualify to be in this? You have to be a managing editor or an executive editor or editor-in-chief of a news organization, newspaper. And that's why there, there, at that time. You said there were not there were just not not that many people. Yeah. It was mostly made up. I mean, we had oh more than a thousand members, and it was you know male and overwhelmingly overwhelmingly male and white. There were some women, um, and so this organization um, uh, we formed this informal group inside the organization. We called it the Kitchen Cabinet. It was just a group of of people of color who are members and qualified to be in this organization. And our goal was to get more of us in the organization. The only way to do that is to sort of watch who was rising at their own news organization. And then as soon as they got those jobs, we would call them and say, you need to join this group. You need, you need to be a part of the, the bigger organization. And then as soon as they came into 
this this group. It was the American Society of Newspaper Editors, it was called at the time. It's, the name has changed a couple of times since then. As soon as they came in, we worked really hard behind the scenes. And I'm talking behind the scenes. Some would say it might have been a secret group, but we would urge them to run for the board. And after you get on the board, you get on the ladder, you get to be president. You, well, you start at the lower level as like treasurer, then secretary, then vice president, then president. And so this was our way of making sure that we had um, quite a few people who look like us in the pipeline to lead this organization so that we could address some of the issues in the industry and make sure that diversity was was uh, high on the list of priorities for, for the newspaper business. So now that we've retired or left our newsrooms, we still have some some conversations about the status of the media. And we just have a lot of fun just talking once a month like that informally. Yeah. What, what are y'all talking about now? What would be these days? Well, you know, in our last conversation, we talked about Nicole Hannah-Jones. Um, she's the New York Times journalist, as you know, who created the 1619 Project, with the which the, the Times used to reframe the history of slavery Absolutely. in the United States. And she's, I mean, she's so qualified. She is a MacArthur Fellow. She won a Pulitzer Prize for her commentary for this um, 1619 project. So um, her alma mater, which is Un University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, one of the best journalism schools in the country, invited her to be um, a faculty member and they wanted to offer her tenure, which is like the most coveted thing you can get as a faculty member. And she's there for life. You don't, you don't have to worry about anything. Exactly. You got a job for life. As long as you do the job, you, you don't have to worry about going up for retent. Well, you do have to sort of pre qualify a little bit, but you, you have a job for life. You're absolutely right. And so the, the university's dean and the faculty voted and they passed it on to the board of trustees which is a normal process. And, the, and I've been on a, a, a college board of trustees mm -hmm. and it's just kind of performative. We know that these people have been vetted before they come to us. Yes. And so, mm -hmm. the, the, you know, normally you just vote. Yes, if this is what the faculty wants and the dean wants and the president wants, this has gone up that high, then mm -hmm. yes, we want her at our university. They turned her down for tenure. They didn't turn her down for the job, no. just for tenure. She said, well, I'm not coming here if I don't get tenure. And she... She, you know, so they're sort of going back and forth. So that's, you know, kind of what we've been. Uh, and there, there was really a real, a real outcry from, the, you know, the community, from the the uh, scholastic community. The, you know, not just mm -hmm. not just folks in the, yeah, and scholastic community, the journalism community. Um, they got. I think the board, as I understand it, got caught up in this whole conversation about culture. Um, yeah. You know, they they said, and one of at least one of their big donors pulled back, and so the board yeah. kind of caved and said, "No, nah, we're not gonna we're not gonna go there." So apparently, there's another chance where they're gonna vote soon, and we'll see. But we've been sort of talking this up in our little kitchen cabinet, and you know, we don't have a dog in that fight. I mean, we can't we can't do anything about it, but it helps us to talk about it. And sometimes we do discuss issues where we might make a phone call to somebody if we feel like. It's something we can help with, and and we've actually done that. So that's that was on my calendar, and um, it was a pretty important and deep discussion. Yeah, it sounds yeah. like yeah, good, yeah, good things, good things.
So Tina, we have an exciting guest today to help us talk about a topic near and dear to our hearts. Uh, we call this segment for the love of writing. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, since my memoir, Coming Full Circle, from Jim Crow to Journalism, was published last year, I met so many people who told me they have a story to write, and they asked for advice on how to get started. And Tina, while I'm flattered as a relatively new author, I, I don't see myself as the house expert on t- a storytelling outside of journalism, of course. I, mm-hmm. I know how to do that. So we're really excited about our guests. So, you know, tell us about who, who we're going to have today. Okay. Well, we are talking about writing. Uh, I just wanted to say that, you know, that's that's what we do. That's who we are. We write, we edit, we publish. Uh, and we've both been doing it for a long time. And frankly, we know a lot of shit about it. Mm-hmm. But we have a guest today who might be a little bit more shit than, than we do in, in certain areas of writing. Uh, today, we are blessed and honored to, know, to have with us one of the best writers and teachers and friends. And that is novelist Bernice McFadden. She's going to help help frame the conversation. So welcome, Bernice. Hello. Thank you. Hi, Bernice. Hey, we're so glad to have you. You and I haven't met. Good. You and I haven't met in person, but I feel like we're sister friends through Tina. Absolutely. Well, well, you know, I, I said I was going to start before before we even got started. I'll have to tell you, Bernice and I have been loving each other for, oh, really decades. And we met in California for the first time, maybe in 2009 or 10 or something. It was around there? Uh, yeah, some, somewhere around there. Somewhere that. around there. It may have been earlier. And there's this wonderful picture. I should have brought it up. There's this wonderful picture of us uh, sitting in a hotel lobby, uh, you know, across from each other, you know, one of the hotel lobby chairs and everything and we're just holding hands and just mooning and loving on each other yes. it's, a, it's a wonderful we weren't talking the caption we just, said we, finally finally absolutely and, and we were you know just holding hands well you know i haven't seen bernice in a while we keep up uh with each other on with facebook and emails and all the rest and right. uh she is connected to me also because i'm from macon georgia and bernice has people in macon georgia she's written about macon georgia and she happened to and be i'm in macon georgia right now as we speak get oh, wow. out are you wow. real Oh yep. my goodness! You're near Wanda and you right down the road, girl. Right down uh-huh. the road. You don't have to talk afterwards. Oh, I should, I should have felt you in Maven. I kind of felt something. <laughs> I, I, I felt some 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 disturbance in the uh, in the floor. <laughs> but at any rate, so uh, we were just had been talking about coming down and all the rest. And one Sunday morning, this uh, this spring, uh, I uh, I uh, got a, a, a text uh, from. Uh, this person, I did not recognize the phone number, and then I got a phone call, and the next thing I know, Sunday morning, here come Bernice and her friends walking down my country road, my dirt road. It was like a miracle, you know, a phone call, a text, and here she is. We hadn't seen each other in years. We hugged, fully vaccinated, yes. outside. We she hugged, hugged, and she hugged the tears other. out of me. Oh. Yeah, this is this. It was it was really wonderful. So thank you so much for joining us, Bernice. I just wanted to sort of let people know. Just I think uh, sometimes people either think that writers are always in each other's kitchen and always in the same room or the same house, um, same city, and you know right. we just rarely see each other. Uh, you know, many times unless there are, you know there are events. So. Sure. Uh, yeah, so that's how I've been keeping up. That's how we keep up with each other. So it was it was a real blessing. So when we were talking about writing, Bernice, um, 
uh, you know, your name, your name came up. I mean, you, Bernice is, is, is known as a writer's writer. You know, she writes for beauty and she writes for words. She writes for atmosphere. You know, she brings all of those things. Oh, oh, oh she brings history. You know, she brings all of those things to her writing. So we wanted to share her with you because uh, as uh, Wanda and I have said many times, we meet so many people and everybody want to write. Everybody got a story. <laughs> we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're going to, uh, you know, we're going to tell, but first we're going to tell Bernice's story. If you don't mind, Bernice, I want to give give the folks a, uh, a you know, a, a, a formal, a little bit more formal idea of what you do. Uh, Bernice. You. Elle McFadden is the author of 10 critically acclaimed novels, including, now everybody's going to stop and walk. i got to do this slowly because everybody stopped at their favorite. Sugar, <laughs> Loving Donovan, Nowhere is a Place, oh, The Warmest Winter, Gathering of Waters, a New York Times editor's choice, and one of the 100 uh, notable books of the year in 2012, Glorious, oh my goodness, and The Book of Harlan. Is the winner of the 2017 American Book Award and the NAACP Image Award for Outstanding Literary Work in Fiction. Bernice is a four-time Hurston Wright Legacy Award finalist, as well as the recipient of four awards from the BCALA, the Black Caucus of the American Library Association, Praise Songs for the Butterflies, which I reviewed. I had the honor and the joy of reviewing for the LA uh, Review of Books. And that is her latest novel. She is professor. And this is what I love. Oh, you know how you read sometimes when people really capture everything in just a few sentences? She is a professor of practice of creative writing at Tulane University. Ah, just so wonderful. The practice of creative writing. I mean, that just that just captures you all over. That just captures you all over. <laughs> so me, you know, I, I believe that, you know, I've never seen a more uh, accurate description of just what that is. Before we really get into the questions, uh, uh, can you tell me, can you speak to that just a little bit? And, and is that something, is that a new uh, slot Professor for practice? And what does it mean? It, it, so professor of practice is a title um, given to people who have been in their um, life's position for some time. So mm -hmm. I'm basically, I, I'm a writer first and I've taken those skills into the classroom. Mm -hmm. So um, that's that's basically what professor of practice is. Like I, this is this is my life's work, right? I, I'm doing mm -hmm. it. I've been doing it, and now I'm going to go into the classroom and and teach. I just teach I think the children perfect. how to do it. Yeah, I I just I just, I think it's perfect. I, obviously, it's a, it's something that I've no, I've heard, have not heard of before, but I kind of feel like they made it for you. It's. <laughs> 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 It's popular and what it does is it allows the university to recruit people who have the outstanding school skills that Bernice has without forcing them to get, you know, a gazillion degrees to prove that they know what they know because we know they know what they know because they've already done it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And you know, but my first, the first two years I was at Tulane, I was there as um, a visiting um, assistant professor of creative writing. And I was step on 
Jasmine Ward was on sabbatical for two years and I was sitting in for her. And so I, you know, in my head, I was just going to be there for two years mm-hmm. and not trying to form any long lasting emotional <laughs> connections. <laughs> and, uh, they didn't want to let you go. Did they? <laughs> yeah. They were like, well, uh-huh. we'll give you professor of practice to stay. And I was like, okay, tenure okay. would be nice, but um, I'll be professor of practice. I said tenure would be nice. Yeah, exactly. We were just talking about tenure. Yeah. I, was, I was thinking mm-hmm. that you were, were talking about the practice, the practice of. Well, you know, you 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 know, you've been in the classroom. You you certainly have. Uh, actually, you you just blazed trails in in certain kinds of African American writing, and you know, being taken seriously, uh, and in, in, in talking about. This everyday people, the extraordinary, extraordinariness in everyday people. Um, uh, as we said, you know, everybody sort of wants to write a novel and everybody kind of feels like they know an extraordinary person or there's something in, in their lives. And that's not always what people want. You know, right. it says that, you know, at least, you know, they say they have at least one good book in all of us. So uh, but can you tell us the difference? And is there a difference between just, I got this story about my family I really want to write and the, saying, you know what, I have this idea for a novel. You know, I think this is a novel. This is a story. This has a beginning, a middle and an end. Can you tell us sort of the difference between that? And I think it will help. Don't you think it might help people who have, are, are yearning to write a novel and what they and that may not be what they're yearning to do? Right. So, you know, as we all know, um, you know, art is very subjective. So I, I can read something from a student who wants to write a novel. And in my mind, I would be saying this, who wants to read this? But really what I'm saying is I don't want to read this. It doesn't mean that there's not an audience for this work. Right. Mm-hmm. And and so I'm very sensitive to that because when I was shopping sugar, it took 10 years I before it, you know, someone saw the possibility in the story. And the majority of my rejection letters said there's not an audience for this work. Yes. So I try not to like err on that side. Right. Um, I continue to encourage the student to continue writing mm-hmm. and keep my personal feelings to myself because just because I don't believe it's a novel or it's novel worthy doesn't mean that someone else might not see the potential in the story. But mm. yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Like everything that goes on paper should not be <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. Well, Bernice, I have a question. I have a question. Is there a difference between being an awesome writer and also being an awesome storyteller? How do you how do you put those two things together? Wow. Um. I don't. I. You know. I think that. Um. I am better on the pages. Some people who are really talented at telling orally telling a story like mm-hmm. Tina I went to see you when you told your story at the mall oh, mm-hmm. right that's see really that's good. not my forte yeah uh-huh. but I can tell a story on the page so there are some people and Tina's one of those people who are gifted at doing both 
Um, yeah. I, I, for me, it's going to be the page because I have my memory comes and goes and I got to stop and start. And I don't think those are uh, the things that make a good oral storyteller. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. I think it should be smooth and concise and entertaining. Right. Yeah. But there are people who are really gifted at, at doing both of those things and doing both of those things very well. What would you tell storytellers who are not writers how, you know, how, how you know, the role? How to get it done. Yeah. How to, how to get the story on the page? I would say um, find someone who can write and work with that person. Record it and, record it and let somebody translate. Trans- oh, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That is also a very good uh, suggestion as well. Record it and let someone write it down. And put all of the, you know, the nuanced and atmospheric stuff that needs to happen when you're writing a story on the page. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of sounds like to me that I'm trying to make, I'm trying to to, to fit things into boxes. And right. you, thank God, are not trying to fit things into boxes. You are there to let the student do whatever the student, whatever makes the student comfortable. You know, I'm. I, I say over and over again that I cannot teach anyone how to write, right? Mm-hmm. I can't teach you how to write. I can provoke you. That's what I do. I bring, I bring in stuff that provokes my students into wanting to tell a, a very specific type of story on the page. So when you get a student and, and you, read the, you read something that they have written that just blows your mind, what do you do? What do you... What, how do you handle that? Have you had that happen? And oh, what's yes. happened to those students? I have students? had some really talented students. And um, what I do is I let them know how blown away I am by the story. And I encourage them to shop it, to submit it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there are plenty of journals out here. I have some students who just write because they enjoy writing, but they don't, they've not considered it as like a viable option to actually earn money or, or find, uh, you know, a publication that's willing to take them on. And I was, and I always encourage them just, you know, send it out there, throw caution to the wind, leap. Mm-hmm. And a you know, no is not going to end your life. That's right. Because I got a few notes. <laughs> and I'm still here. <laughs> you know, no, I'm, uh, no, actually, I was just listening. To her. Uh, number one, you, you know, I was kind of a little mesmerized. But uh, uh, it just it sounds like it's so interesting how the universe sends, sends the right people to the right places. I mean, the universe has clearly sent you to teach uh, 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 to teach students and to be, you know, so open and welcoming. And you know, so I have one one last question because people ask this all the time, and maybe you can, you know help some folks who may not even know what they're asking. You know, when people ask you, what's your process and how often do you write? And do you write in the morning or do you write in the evening? Or, you know, do you have music? You know, what do you tell them? So it changes for me, um, you know, book, book by book. Early on in my writing career, when I was just writing, um, I found that the mornings worked really well for me. Mm-hmm. And then as I, you know, two, three years in, then I kind of shifted and found that the evenings worked well. I, I do remember that I did not write in the summer 
But once it fall started, you know, showing herself, it got the, mm -hmm. the air started getting a little, you know, frosty. I was mm -hmm. ready to sit down and write it. So I would usually write from like late September, early October, straight through until uh, May. And, wow. and that's, you know, I was writing the book a year. And so I always had to hand in my manuscript in May and then they publish it the following like January, February. But since I've been teaching, it's, it's completely different because I found that I cannot write the way I want to write and teach. So I'm kind of like uh, just completely focused on the teaching and it takes a lot out of me. If I have 45 students a semester, I'm reading a lot. Whoa, I'm baby. reading a lot. I'm, I'm editing a lot. I'm having a lot of meetings with the kids. And so I don't really have enough energy left for my own writing. Mm -hmm. So I took this spring semester off so that I could dedicate myself to my writing. And I know at the end of August when school opens up, you know, that's the end of that. But my process is I do not, I do not write um, to music. It has to be completely silent because mm -hmm. I need to hear the people talking to me. Right. I can't write out in public. Like I, I find it um, fascinating. Ooh. People who write at coffee shops. Coffee shops. Like uh, uh, August Wilson, you know, wrote all those wonderful plays sitting at the edge of a, a counter, a, a diner counter. Yeah. yeah. One, one, of, one of my best friends who is an editor and a writer um, only can only writes in Starbucks for the most part. She has her favorite Starbucks and she just sits there and writes and writes and writes. So, yeah, you're right. It's hard to do. I can't do I that either. Drop. I get, and I, I'm already, yeah. you know, easily distracted. So that's why it has to be quiet. The, the, <laughs> the, the office, the room, whatever room I'm working in must be spotless, must be clean because I can make up, I can find any excuse not to write. Mm -hmm. the hard, really? You know, it's hard to start. And sometimes it's scary to start. Uh -huh. Sometimes I feel ill when I sit down like, oh, can I do it again? And, really? and, and I ease myself in and then, you know, I look up and maybe, you know, I've written two, 3000 words and I'm enjoying it. I'm there, I'm in the story and, and I'm in love again, but falling in love. <laughs> <laughs> Each time I sit down to fall in love, it's a, it's a rough start. Yeah, that's why they call it falling, huh? Yes, that's why they call it falling. <laughs> oh, Bernice, we, as you can see, we could talk all afternoon. We're going to have to have you back again. You are a fascinating and wonderful guest and so informative. And I have to say again, such a kind teacher and a kind writer. I'd love to be one of your students. It sounds it sounds really good. It sounds really good. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank, Thank you, Bernice. And listen, we're just <laughs> down the road. So anytime you are in Macon, you, you're not that far away. So come on over here. We, oh, and and we can all have lunch together. That sounds good. Well, yeah. I love you, sweetie. Thank you so much love for this. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Well, we have lived long enough to know a lot of stuff. So, um, so we love this last segment, Tina. We call it dropping some wisdom. 
So my wisdom for you, I'm going to give my wisdom. You have some wisdom to drop as well. And, and our, our uh, podcast listeners are telling us that this is the part of our podcast that they like the most. They love the wisdom. They really have. We've been hearing from them. So my wisdom today is about a seat at the table. I was having a conversation the other day with my 38 year old daughter who just signed up to start a, with a startup company that's going to manufacture and sell products on the e-commerce. They don't have stores. They don't have any heavy overhead. This is, and it's a company that's led and run by, by millennials. They're all young people. So they're part of an industry creating a new business model, which I so admire. Mm -hmm. um, so she's excited because, then, you know, in addition to all the ways that they're creating models for business, they also have something called Take Your Dog to Work Day. <laughs> Once a month, she can take, she can take Kobe to work with her. So she's that excited was about picture, that. Huh? Yeah, that, that was one of the things yeah. that said, this is the place for you. Yeah, because it's about the, it's about the culture. Uh -huh. um, but it's a small company, only a couple of dozen employees so far. And, and Shelby, that's my daughter's name, will have a seat at the table. Now, this is nothing new for Shelby because, you know, for years I've been telling her about the benefit of having of my own experience of, about having a seat at the table. In fact, I, I included a, a couple of chapters about the value of having a seat at the table in my, in my memoir, Coming Full Circle, mm -hmm. which uh, came out last year. So for those young people who do not know, here are some of the benefits of having a seat at the table. One is when you are seated at the table, you have a greater understanding about how decisions are made and you even get to weigh in on decision making. When you're at the table, you can advocate for your own ideas and issues that you care about and people you want to elevate. It's a great way to be sure people like you or people you value are in the pipeline for promotions or, or just getting good assignments. Mm -hmm. When you're at the table and you get you get, when you're at the table, you get firsthand knowledge about how the company or organization is doing, whether they're making money or losing revenue. Sometimes that makes you think about whether the company is a good fit for you long term. So maybe you want to stay or maybe you think, eh, maybe this is not the place I want to be. But just being at the table, you get that information first. Yeah. When you're at the table, you learn skill, you learn different skill sets like marketing and accounting and advertising and product development, areas that might not even be in your own skills. So you learn a lot. You may not have to do those jobs, but it always helps to know how, how, how it works. And when you're at the table, you become a trusted employee and you must, I repeat, must never violate that trust. So if there's some information that comes down at the table and they said, we can't tell the staff this until yeah. Monday or next week, you must not violate that trust. So, Tina, if you remember, I started my memoir with a quote from former Congresswoman Shirley Chisholm. Uh, if they don't, yeah, if they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. Sister Shirley knew how important that seat was. But sometimes, like Shelby, like me, sometimes we can't wait too long to be invited to the table. Like us, sometimes you have to leave and go somewhere else where a seat at the table is sincerely offered. So look for those opportunities and then always remember when the time is right to invite someone else to have a seat at the table with you. So that's my wisdom. That's, that's, that's wonderful. That's why I yeah. love your and Shelby stories because they, they speak to uh, our generation, 
who you know lived through these things in mm -hmm. her generation and you know I, I i know shelby i know that you know she has another generation behind her that she's going to share those you know that with, with so yeah. that's yeah. that's really lovely yeah um, so what wisdom are you dropping this time my wisdom is well before i even say it i'm going to say that you know as we've told you before uh, Wanda is not a cursor. She does not do much cursing. On the other hand, I curse like a sailor. So my wisdom is, and I'm not going to, and I'm, not, I'm, not, and I'm not going to be put in the box. I said this is our web, this is our podcast. podcast. You know, we say what we want to say. Do do you, Tina? Do you? Do me? We've earned mm -hmm. it. Okay. Mm -hmm. But my my wisdom is protect your shit. You know, it sounds like, you know, something you might hear in the barbershop or, or you know, somewhere like that. But I'm, I want you to know that this is serious stuff. I had a girlfriend uh, in the past who was having, who just had lots of financial troubles. She was in out financial and she just, you know, she just needed some help. And but at some point, you know, your help runs out and, you know, all you, all you have is a good word for your friend. You know, you don't have, you know, don't have any more funds for her. And that's sort of where I was. But I was very concerned about her. And she was talking about losing her home. Mm. And, uh, how you know she didn't know whether she was going to be able to keep it, and uh, so we didn't talk for you know a couple of days. And I I reached out to her because I wanted to know, you know, I told her to call me, let me know what was going on, and she didn't call me. And I talked to her, and uh, you know, she had gotten her stuff together and made sure you know made sure a payment was made. I don't know how she did. She didn't tell me any of this. And I said, oh, my it was a complete complete turnaround. So I asked her, I said, my goodness, what happened? She said, huh. I was sitting here looking at my furniture and I said, hey, this is my shit they're going to be putting out on the street. <laughs> protect your shit, okay? And when I say that, of course, protect your belongings and the things that are dear to you. But what I'm talking about really are the things that are inside you and important to you. Protect your reputation. That's your shit. You know, don't, don't let somebody drag you down where then you look as bad as they do. You know, protect your intellect, protect what you know, protect your history. Those stories that grandmama and all of them used to tell me, I've made a career on them. I've, mm -hmm. I've made a career. If I didn't have a, if I didn't have a history, I don't know what I would do. I wouldn't know what Mulberry, the little town of Mulberry looked like. I wouldn't know, you know, what inside the juke joint looked like. Protect your shit. Decide what it is that's important to you. You know, it may be your dream. And every time you mention it, people give you that old, mm -hmm. oh, you always talking about that. And you ain't going to never do uh -uh. Stop telling those people about it. Protect your dream. You know, protect that thing that's inside of you that keeps you going, that spark. You know, protect your shit. Your family is your shit. Your girlfriends are your shit. Protect your shit. That's my wisdom this week. That is powerful. Powerful, powerful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, well, that's it for this uh, third episode of Two Old Chicks, Tina. <laughs> and I, I know we surprise our own selves sometimes. I know, I know, we're I know. So, we're so very, very pleased to be with y'all. So pleased that you would listen in to us and think that these two old chicks really do have a whole lot, of, a whole lot of shit to say. Absolutely. So, so we hope you listeners will tell others about our podcast and join us again next time when we will discuss the topic 
what's in a name? Just think about that. What's in a name? So we'll tell you more about that. And since July is Mental Health Awareness Month, we're also going to mention the importance of getting mental health care. And of course, we'll be dropping some more wisdom. Yeah. Make sure you subscribe to Two Old Chicks on Spotify and on YouTube, where you can see us in full color uh, the following the following Wednesday. Uh, uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm sorry, on Twitter and on Instagram at Two Old Chicks Podcast. And we'll see you soon. Take care. Love and peace. Bye-bye, everybody. Love, love.